Hey, you're listening to We Just Like to Talk. I'm your host, Becky. And I'm Kara. And this is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. Today's topic is... Our favorite book, Come As You Are. Becky. Kara. Uh, you just finished reading a book that I sent you as a birthday present. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. is that book called and who wrote it? Um, so the book that you gave me, along with a workbook, might I add, it's called Come As You Are, and it's uh, written by Emily Nagoski. I love giving you homework, yeah. So Nagoski's book is kind of like a sexual self-help book. Uh, She talks a lot about sexual pleasure and how different parts of the body and the brain relate to that. I would say that it's primarily targeting cisgender women, but you can still get a lot out of it no matter what your gender and what your genitals and what your sex life is like. I mean, I'm an asexual, aromantic trans woman, and I read this book, and I thought it was super fascinating. Uh, And then I knew that you, Becky, of all the people in my life, you would be the one person who absolutely wants to read this book and then talk about it with me. You couldn't be more right about that. So 100%. When you sent this to me, I was beyond thrilled because I'm like, ah, I know this is going to be such an interesting book but also we're gonna have so many interesting conversations like the one that we're having right now (laughs) yeah because i'm just i'm so fascinated to talk to you about sex and the Mm -hmm. things relationships and things related to sex because obviously we both have very different lives when it comes to dating and sex and romance Mm -hmm. and you've always been very open with me which i feel very privileged about and Mm -hmm. i learn so much from your perspective on things. It teaches me a lot. And, you know, if I'm not being too immodest here, I think you've also learned a lot from me and my perspective. Oh, yeah, totally. I think I think that's one of the best things about our, our, our friendship is that we, we learn and we've grown so much together, right? Absolutely. So this is just like another like stepping stone almost. And just another like cool thing we can talk about um, together and obviously with our listeners too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm super excited about that. I think one of the things, I don't want to speak for you, but one of the things that I really liked about this book is that she kept reiterating that we're all normal. Like whether you have lots of orgasms, very little orgasms, somewhere in between, what your genitals look like, what they don't look like. It doesn't matter. We're all normal. And she kept reiterating that by saying, like, all the same parts organized in different ways. And to me, I was like, yes, I love that. Yeah, what's one of the things that you really enjoyed about the book? I completely agree. I have that down in my Mm -hmm. notes as well. I love that she works hard to debunk the idea that certain things in 
sex and your sex life are normal. I love that she says that whatever you feel or experience, that's normal for you. And Mm -hmm. the goal of her book and hopefully what many of its readers will take from it is not that you're trying to create some kind of artificial normal that society says you should have when it comes to things like you mentioned, orgasms. Um, Mm -hmm. But you should learn more about your body and come to understand, you know, how does your body communicate certain things to you, whether it's arousal Mm -hmm. or desire, which are two different things, apparently. And that's something that I already kind of knew, but the book definitely helped me understand the distinction between arousal and desire, uh, for Mm -hmm. sure. Being somebody who's really interested in science and stuff, I liked that this book is very grounded in scientific research. Mm -hmm. I find that sometimes therapy books, self-help books, even books on psychology, um, often they don't bring in as much science as I would like. And they run the risk of then generalizing without actually explaining to me, like, how do you know that this is actually true for most people? And Mm -hmm. what Nagoski does is she cites some fairly uh, distinct and important research by two researchers named Jansen and Bancroft into what's called the sexual excitement system and the sexual inhibition system. So it's not just a matter of, oh, you know, you get turned on. It's you've got these two different systems in your brain. Uh, She calls them the accelerator and the brake. And how you respond to potentially sexy situations is it involves the interaction between the accelerator and the brake. So you might be getting turned on by something. Something might be pressing your accelerator. But if something else happens that then pumps your brakes, you still aren't going to get completely to the point where, you you know, you're ready and wanting sex Uh, and vice versa. You know, you might have nothing pumping the brakes, yet you're still not getting aroused because there's also nothing triggering the accelerator. So it becomes this delicate dance, this balance between these two systems. And as somebody who is asexual and who doesn't uh, necessarily have sex with partners, I still found that extremely interesting and relevant to my life because I still have those systems, right? I still have accelerators and brakes. They just maybe uh, function in slightly different contexts from a lot of other people. So I Mm -hmm. loved that she brought that research in and she kept referring back to that as she went throughout the book and explained all of these different aspects of one's sex life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I found that super interesting as well. Well, what I wanted to share was maybe like a couple examples of like, um, just as you were saying, like the inhibitors, so the SIS. And so this is rated on a scale of zero to four. So zero being not at all like me and four being exactly like me. Uh, So one of the questions is, unless things are just right, it is difficult for me to become sexually aroused. I'll, I'll say what I personally put. I said not much like me. So I put a one. Another one was, I have to trust a partner to become fully aroused. Uh, For me, I felt like that was somewhere in the middle. I have to have some trust, but that's like, it's not part, it's part of the equation, but it's not necessarily what turns me off fully. And then, so I'll give an example of the exciter, the SES, which is also what she refers to as an accelerator. Often, just how someone smells can be a turn-on. For me, I put a three, uh, so that's a lot like me. 
Having sex in a different setting than usual is a real turn-on for me. I put that as a four because I noticed when I was writing out, like, so there was one example in this book and she said, like, okay, give three examples of times you had, like, amazing sex and, like, kind of talk about, like, the context and what you were thinking and what was happening. And then you also did the reverse. So three times you had kind of like mediocre, not the greatest sex. Um, and one of the things that I really noticed was having like a different setting always seemed to like, or doing something a little bit different, definitely like, you know, triggers my brain and accelerates my my turn-ons. Mm-hmm. So, so these little quizzes, they're kind of like the personality quizzes that you get on a magazine, right? Where it's like, you got to answer each of the questions and then you add up your score and you flip Tally the magazine it. over. Yeah. But in this case, <laughs> yeah. instead of doing something so superficial, she actually then goes into explaining like what's actually happening in your brain when you're thinking about mm -hmm. these things. Yeah. And like, what does it mean? And again, I love that she said, like, for example, like I, I scored low on the break part so mm -hmm. that means like not very much kind of like turns me off mm -hmm. and then I scored extremely high on the SES or like the accelerator part none of that surprises me about you <laughs> I know it honestly didn't surprise myself either but I did find it interesting that she said only about like 16% of the women that she asked like fell into that like this like high accelerator group yeah, so she brings in these statistics and she talks about, you know, again, not what is typical or normal because whatever's normal for you mm -hmm. is normal for you. But based on research that she's done, what are the different ways in which predominantly women respond to these ideas? And I, that's why this, this two-system model is so much nicer than just thinking about, you know, what turns you on. Because for some people, uh, like yourself, you know, if you have a very sensitive accelerator and not a super sensitive brake, then, um, you know, the way that you want to set yourself up for those successes is going to be different than somebody who maybe is in the opposite situation where she, you know, has a lot of trouble pressing that accelerator and almost everything presses that brake. Mm -hmm. and, and so I like how she gets you to think about what type of person are you so that as you go forward in the book, you can take her advice and her uh, learning in uh, whatever way that you need for yourself. Mm-hmm, totally. I also think it's really cool that she uses sort of these like case studies throughout the book and you get to follow along the journeys of um, of these women and either like you said maybe they have their breaks on a lot so it's maybe hard or more difficult for them to kind of let go of the offs and and concentrate uh, more on things that turn them on mm -hmm. and then you also have um, people that are somewhere in the middle and then you have someone maybe that's more like me that has like a very high accelerator and yeah I, I, I liked how she gave tips for each um, 
I don't want to say type of women because that we're not in boxes, but right, different types maybe, of experiences. Yeah, different types of experiences. I like that the case studies in also involved um, not just women in relationships with male partners, but also yeah, uh, there there was Female. a woman. Yeah, there's a woman in a relationship with another woman. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a woman who wasn't in like a, a committed relationship. She was just kind of having different partners and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's good to see representation of different uh, styles, different sexualities, and then also sort of different approaches to sex lives. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because and, and what was also interesting, too, was we got to see sort of like the point of view of like these partners as well and how they sort of like got involved and and helped out with contacts that could um, stimulate the women, I guess you could say. Yeah, like there's the the one guy right where he he was really desperate to help turn on his wife, and he mm-hmm. wanted to do his best, but it seemed like nothing that he did would help. There was always mm-hmm. something happening that would press her break, and it, it it's really nice that Nagoski talks about how not just having communication is important, but also understanding that sometimes good intentions aren't always enough, right? Sometimes you need to Mm -hmm. accept that you're going to struggle a little bit and there's nothing necessarily wrong with either person involved. It's just the way things are sometimes and you have to keep trying and keep changing what you're trying until Mm -hmm. eventually you'll find something that works and maybe what works for you isn't always going to work for you. For sure. Yeah, perhaps these changes would not have lasted as they have if it weren't for Johnny recognizing the opportunity in all of this. And then once he clicked into the idea of turning off her offs, he started noticing more and more things he could do to help Lori to get to let go of the breaks. Sometimes it was a simple thing like doing the dishes and wiping down the kitchen counters. Sometimes it was, let's take a night off of worrying about whether we're going to have sex and just lie together and talk. I just thought that was so sweet because it was like, it's not just like he's trying, but he's like really getting to know her better and recognizing kind of like what helps her out, right? Mm-hmm. I just thought that was so endearing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, anyway. <laughs> well, that's what I mean when I say that the book moves beyond the superficiality of improving one's sex life, right? Because she acknowledges yeah. that. Uh, especially for many women, but I'm sure that this is true for people of other genders. When it comes to the the inhibitors, it's not just what's going on between you and your partner in the bedroom. It's about all that other shit going on in your life, right? And if you're turned on by what your partner's doing, but then suddenly you start thinking about the dirty dishes in the sink or mm-hmm. that report you have due at work the next day, like... Of course, that's going to make it harder to get into the moment. Definitely. I think it's interesting because it also ties into the whole idea of stress and how sometimes stress can. So like for some individuals, if they're super, super stressed, um, that that definitely pushes on their breaks. But then for other individuals, I think I'm more so in this category, it kind of like pumps up the accelerator. So it's not that you want sex more but you sort of see it as a way to kind of de-stress 
Has that been your experience or do you, do you find that stress makes you less likely to have sex? Um, it varies, but for the, I would say overall, for sure, it's almost like I tie stress and excitability together. Hmm. And so I know that by having sex, I know that it'll like decrease my stress. And so sometimes I've used it as like a de-stressor. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's always been the greatest thing, but... Yeah, so that's what she tries to say in the book, right? Is before you can make any changes and improvements to your life, you have to understand, you know, which type of person are you and how do you respond mm -hmm. to stress? And if you're somebody who, like yourself, is using is using sex as a response to stress to sort of push that stress away... If that's working for you, great. But if it's just a, if it's a not so healthy coping mechanism, once you understand that's what you're doing, then you can examine that more closely and say, okay, well, how can I break that cycle and make sure that I'm only having sex when I actually want to have sex versus when I um, am using it as this escape from stress? Mm hmm. Totally. Well, so one thing I really wanted to talk about is, of course, orgasms. Mm -hmm. and how first off much like i think sex for a lot of women this book makes you wait for the orgasm part <laughs> um it's the cherry on top of the cake <laughs> yeah you gotta get pretty far into it and uh she does that on purpose because she's really trying to mm -hmm. emphasize to us that orgasms are not the end-all be-all of having sex with somebody and yeah it's it's about the pleasure. Exactly. There's so much more that can happen when you're having sex than just orgasms to be the pleasurable component. And also something that she says many times over and that I love and I just I love repeating it is that orgasms happen in your brain. Mm -hmm. It's yep. not about your genitals. You know, that just mm -hmm. happens to be a mechanism. And, and the actual act of orgasming is something that's happening in your brain. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and I love how that she says, like, you know, an, a clitoral orgasm or a breast orgasm or whatever way, shape, or form an orgasm take, it always comes back to it's an orgasm. It doesn't matter, like, how it happened or, or where you're feeling it. It's just, like, your brain – it's in your brain. So it's, like, it's all one thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's this whole, almost like a, a mythos or legend built up around things like the clitoral orgasm and how, you know. Or the G-spot orgasm. Yeah. Right? It's like, <laughs> a, a, if you're somebody who has sex with people with vulvas and vaginas, it's like you got to read the manual for how to do all of these different types of orgasms. When yeah. really, you don't need to read the manual. You just need to talk with your partner and see what gets her off, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. make her feel safe and ready for whatever you're going to be doing. Um, and maybe be mindful of the fact that, as this book points out, the percentage of women who can actually orgasm just from being penetrated is actually very small. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's not something that you learn in sex ed, because our sex ed doesn't like to talk about sex being pleasurable. <laughs> um and it's not something that you learn from porn because if you get most of your sex ed outside of school from porn, which you shouldn't, uh, apparently all women orgasm all the time in porn if you put a penis inside of them. <laughs> I'm making a face right now. 
If only, if only it were that simple, right? <laughs> I think something else that was also really interesting, and, and I purposely tried not to say it, um, but it's so ingrained in our language, is this idea that sex is a drive. Yeah. Like saying like, oh, I have, and I, and I know I've said it in the past, and I don't know about you either, but saying like, oh, I have a high like sex drive. And that's actually not the correct terminology because a drive is something that like keeps you alive, like thirst, hunger, body temperature, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like to keep you going, to keep you, you know, but sex is actually like an incentive because like it, it, it gets you this like reward, if you will. Um, And like you won't die if you don't have sex. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was really interesting. So I'm like, wow, that makes total sense. But yet we keep saying this, this, this term, sex drive. Yeah, it's so programmed into us, right? This book is deprogramming mm-hmm. us from the somewhat careless use of language that we here in our society, especially when it comes to sex. And we get it from all sides. We get it from the sex negative people who don't want us to have sex and who think that you should only have sex if you're going to have a baby. And even then, if there's some possible way that you could avoid having sex and still have a baby, maybe try that first. Um, And we also hear somewhat careless language sometimes from sex positive people because in their rush and excitement to communicate the benefits and pleasures of being more open about sex and sexuality, sometimes they forget that there's so many layers of nuance. You know, as an asexual person, when people talk about sex as being this drive that is natural to every human being, it rubs me the wrong way because Mm. I don't need to have sex with anybody else to feel complete and whole. And so Mm -hmm. if you say, oh, everybody needs to have sex or everybody wants mm-hmm. to have sex uh, no matter how positive you're being about sex and sexuality you're erasing those people who don't want that whether they're asexual whether they just don't desire sex for whatever reason so mm-hmm. I totally agree with you it's it's not a drive I like that framing of it as an incentive um, I think it's useful to be able to say things about like your libido and kind of how Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to describe the rhythm of your sexual desire and arousal. Mm-hmm. But I agree, it's it's not a drive. And we have this weird temptation to talk about ourselves as if we're animals, but then also talk about ourselves as if we're not animals. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. we, we always want to explain everything using evolution and biology, right? Oh, you know, I'm attracted to people with a certain hair color because back in our days of living on the savannah, and I've always been skeptical of evolutionary biology and psychology. They do have their purpose, but you got to mm-hmm. be careful. And, uh, you know, yes, we are animals, but we are animals with very rich and diverse cultures and that puts a huge mediator on how we interact with one another. And emotions, might I add, too. Absolutely. 
thank you so much for tuning in to part one. Um, Car and I have so much uh, great things to say about this book and uh, great conversation with each other uh, that we want to do a part two. Until then, uh, Becky, where can people find us on the internet? So you guys can find us at www.wejustliketotalk.com. You can find all of our episodes anywhere you find podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Excellent. And I can't wait to continue this conversation with you in part two. Yes. Uh, Until then, it's been awesome talking with you about your sex life as always. (laughs) Love it.